The election of Obama uh, was a huge story this year, obviously, and it's going to be an enormous story in 2009. Um, and, I, and just to sort of look ahead as well, I would say um, Eric Holder as the new attorney general, assuming that he is confirmed, uh, will, will be an enormous story. This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And this is Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob? And I write a blog called Law Sites and uh, also write legal blog watch for law.com. Well, Craig, 2008 brought a lot of legal stories to the forefront from the uh, dismal uh, economy causing law firms to shut down and lay off people to the uh, always controversial and interesting Supreme Court. And it was a big year for politicians like Elliot Spitzer and Sarah Palin and some standout attorneys like President-elect Barack Obama to the attorney who was looking for a simpler life and decided to burn his Harvard diploma. They all made top news in the legal world. Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, uh, our first show of 2009, we're going to look back at 2008. We're going to be joined today by the editors of the two leading legal publications uh, in the country. Uh, in the first half of the show, we'll have one on and uh, we'll be joined later in the show by Steve Fromm from the National Law Journal. Those would be the other two other than your blog and my blog, right, Bob? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And our, our first guest today is editor and publisher of the ABA Journal, Edward Adams. Ed joined the ABA Journal as editor and publisher in 2006. He had served as public information officer for the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia and was a reporter and editor for the New York Law Journal for more than a dozen years. He's also worked for the New York Post, CNN, U.S. News and World Report, the National Law Journal, American Lawyer, Cincinnati Inquirer, and the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Pretty slack a resume, if you ask me. Uh, welcome to the show, Ed Adams. That's a great resume. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. Obviously, it's tough, it's tough for me to hold down a job for very long. <laughs> and we are going to later in the show be joined by Steve Fromm, the editor-in-chief of the National Law Journal. But, Ed, let's turn to you and talk about uh, the top legal stories for 2008, and in particular from, from your vantage point at the ABA Journal. Uh, what, what kind of stands out to you? Well, clearly, I think the, the meta story for 2008 was the collapse of the economy and legal economy included. Um, we on ABAJournal.com, you know, are posting uh, stories throughout every business day. We put up over 5,000 stories during the course of 2008 on every conceivable legal topic. Um, and one of the things we did at the end of the year was take a look back at those 5,000 and see what the 10 most read stories of the year were. We wanted to gauge sort of what drew the attention of our readers. Um, and it will probably come as no surprise that the stories that were uh, most read typically dealt not with the law, the substance of the law, uh, but with the legal profession itself. Um, and, and a couple of, of themes, I think, stand out um, from our coverage. 
Um, one, uh, clearly, is the economy. Um, and, and let me take you through a couple of the stories, I think, that, that were, were emblematic of that coverage. Um, our third most read story of the year uh, talked about a study done by a professor at Indiana University um, who looked at um, the amount of money that lawyers who graduate from law school make. And what he found um, was that the so-called crevasse system, which is the system of hiring from the elite schools, large numbers of lawyers into the elite firms in New York and other major cities, um, in his view, was unsustainable, um, that hiring that many lawyers at that high a price uh, was not simply not something that was going to be capable of, of uh, continuing for much longer. Um, and I think that that story sort of underlies a, a theme throughout the year, and I think it's going to continue into 2009, which is, does, do, do fundamental aspects of the legal profession as it's practiced today need to change in the United States? Uh, is this recession not just a downturn and we will return to good times as we knew them before, pretty much working the same way we always have, or will particularly the big firms uh, have to change their business model as a result um, of this uh, economic cataclysm that we're living through? Ed, we did a story recently on the death of the billable hour. Do you uh, see that as one of the changes that are going to occur as a consequence of the demise of the cravath system? Well, I'm a very bad forecaster for exactly what will happen, but certainly there's a lot of talk about whether billable hours uh, are the way to go for most big firms going forward. Um, and there's just a story, uh, what, a, a day or two ago um, in Forbes' uh, website talking about um, whether or not billable hours are, are sustainable. It was written by the presiding partner at Cravath Swain & Moore, one of the New York's biggest and most prestigious firms. Uh, who said that he thought that billable hours didn't make sense for lawyers, didn't make sense for clients. Um, and I think there is a growing consensus about that, but I don't believe big firms will really change that uh, form of doing business until clients force them to. So I think that the, the power in 2009 is going to lie in the hands of the Fortune 500 companies, whether or not they choose to tell their, their outside counsel, we're not going to bill this way anymore, we're going to bill a different way. What are the themes do you see for legal stories in 2008? Um, well, certainly the economy really did dominate our list. Uh, the number five story was about uh, White and Case uh, choosing to reduce the size of its holiday party. It was only going to spend in 2008 about $250,000. And it was not going to have any fireworks at this party, uh, which sounds like a lot of money maybe to me and you, but that was about half of what they spent in 2007. Um, and they made that announcement only a week after they had laid off 170 people, 70 lawyers and 100 staff members. So that caught the attention of our readers. Uh, so, too, did a story about DLA Piper asking its 275 non-equity partners uh, to join as full partners, full equity partners in the firm. Uh, and what the story pointed out was that they were looking uh, for economic contributions, uh, pay-ins, if you will, buy-ins into the firm. Uh, by these individuals, which obviously would uh, would provide more capital for the firm in the short term. Um, another theme, I think, beyond the economics is lawyers, I think, have a love-hate relationship with the profession. This is true not just in 2008, but in any year. Um, and a couple of our stories uh, that did very well uh, looked at that. Uh, Craig, you mentioned earlier the story of the uh, Harvard Law graduate who uh, burned his diploma uh, on YouTube um, because he is trying to simplify uh, his life. He's known uh, uh, by the pseudonym Jack, um, a 30-something lawyer in Washington, D.C., 
uh, who is, has his own blog and announced in June that he was giving up his $300,000 salary uh, and trying to simplify his life and burning that diploma um, was one of the ways in which he felt um, he could do that. Um, we also had a piece about um, a law graduate um, who has $87,000 in debt after graduating from Boston University Law School. Um, and she says that she's on a one-woman mission to talk people out of going to law school. That, too, attracted not only a lot of readers, but a lot of people who wanted to comment about that story. We had almost 200 readers post comments on that story on our blog. What were the thread of the comments? How did people react to that? Well, they reacted all over the lot. Uh, Some were sympathetic to her and said that they were in the same boat, that they went to law school expecting to make big bucks, um, and that didn't turn out to be the case, but they certainly were saddled with big debt. Others said that she should have known what she was getting into uh, before she went to law school. Um, And frankly, uh, she was stupid for doing what she did. Um, So they were sort of all over the lot, some blaming her, some blaming the system. Um, And I think lastly, uh, one of the themes that comes out of our top uh, 10 list is that the lawyers have a never-ending fascination uh, about how their law schools rank uh, in the U.S. News and World Report annual rankings of the best law schools. Uh, This year, uh, Columbia, my alma mater, was up to uh, number five on U.S. News' list. Uh, New York University, our downtown rival, was down to number, uh, I'm sorry, Columbia was up to four, NYU was down to number five. Um, so I consider that a victory for all the Columbia alums out there. Um, earlier in the year, in the pages of the ABA Journal, uh, Bob Morris, who is the statistician who runs that for U.S. News, um, sort of made an offer to law schools, which are frequently complaining about the list, saying that it drives the kinds of decisions that they make. Uh, he said, look, let's talk amongst ourselves. Let's have U.S. News personnel talk to the deans of law schools and see whether or not we can come up with a better way of ranking these schools. Um, so far, they haven't really taken them up on that offer. It seems like the kind of thing that uh, law school deans love to hate. Are you getting, uh, how's your subscription base? Is it, is it, do you finding that people want to see the print version of it? Or are you finding that people are, you're getting more people transitioning to online? We're finding that people use the two mediums differently. Um, the ABA journal is sent to every member of the ABA by virtue of their membership. Um, so we are, to a large extent, a controlled circulation magazine. Um, so subscription numbers don't really tell much of a tale there. Um, but what we have found anecdotally from our readers is they go to the magazine for longer looks at stories. Uh, if we're going to do a long takeout on a particular topic, uh, particularly one that is intensive in terms of art and graphics, charts, tables, and so forth, that works much better in the magazine. Um, some people have described it as kind of a, a lean-forward, lean-back dichotomy. Uh, one leans back uh, with, a, with a magazine in your lap in sort of a relaxed state, reading through it when you have some time to focus, whereas people are coming to our website um, to look at what is news this minute. Uh, we're updating that site 25 to 50 times a day with fresh content um, so that if the Supreme Court's handing down a decision at 10 o'clock, by 10.10, you're going to see a report up online. Then we'll augment that over the course of the day with full text of the decision, some early analysis from bloggers who follow the court and so forth. So um, the site is doing tremendously. We were uh, up to 1.7 million page views in December, which is a record for us in a traditionally down month for news sites. So we think both of the, the mediums work well on their own terms. You also have to wonder... Uh 
what this list says about the people who are coming to the site. I mean, it does appear that the top stories are skewed toward younger segment of the profession, associates, law students, uh, people who are still thinking about what's ahead of them in their career and whether this is the right career for them. Uh, is is that part of the story here, that that, that there's a, a change in the way the legal profession is getting information and digesting information? Uh, and uh, what do you see as uh, how, the, how the ABA Journal is going to uh, adapt to, uh, to those changes if you see them happening? Well, I think there clearly is a change. There's a movement not just in the legal profession but in all professions toward electronic information and away from print for certain purposes. Um, you see that most clearly with print products which deal with breaking news. Uh, for instance, the uh, Time, Newsweek, and the other uh, legal weekly, or the news weeklies um, have that problem. I would imagine that when you talk to Steve that he'll say something similar, that, that you know, since he's publishing a weekly, the journal is a monthly, they're a different animal, um, and you're dealing with a different kind of news cycle. Um, so I think that those print products which are focused on breaking news are having the toughest time in this environment, and those focused on sort of longer feature looks at things, as the journal is, um, are having a better time of it. Uh, but clearly people are moving online, and one of the things that we're doing at the journal is trying to stay um, apace with our readers. We want to be providing legal information wherever our readers are. So, for instance, in the last year, uh, we've done a number of things in that, on that front. We've souped up our mobile edition of the magazine so that you can read not just the magazine but also our breaking news on a BlackBerry or an Internet-capable cell phone. We created a specially designed application for the iPhone uh, when it came out with third-party applications so you can see our stories on an iPhone. That's been tremendously successful, I would guess, with typically younger lawyers uh, who gravitate toward that kind of a mobile device. We've had over 6,000 people download that application since it went up in the midpoint of the year. You know, we have RSS feeds so people can see the content that way. We have a relationship with a company which runs video monitors that hang in elevators you may have seen in office buildings where they will put up headlines from CNN, from Time, other sources, and our, our publication as well. Uh, we want to be wherever lawyers are getting their information. So I think that one of the challenges for a publisher like us is to keep innovating, to keep doing new ways of distributing your information. Ed, as a journalist, what stories surprised you that you thought would make the top 10 but didn't even get close? Well, I'm constantly surprised that our coverage of the substantive areas of the law don't get higher. Um, one would think that almost any lawyer in the United States would want and need to know about what at least some Supreme Court decisions are issued in a given year almost never get up to the top, and it always surprises me. Um, I think some of our coverage of legal ethics uh, didn't place as highly as I, I would think. Um, frequently, lawyers like to read stories about other lawyers who are having ethical difficulties. I think that uh, readers see those stories and they think, oh, but for the grace of God, perhaps there would go on. I mean, there were some um, examples of that. There was a story on the top ten list at number seven, about an associate at Cleary Gottlieb who uh, made an, a mistake on an Excel chart that was filed um, as part of uh, the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy. Um, and uh, that caused uh, a great deal of difficulty in that case. Uh, but by and large, those stories didn't do quite as well as I thought they would have in 2008. 
What about personalities from the news? What are who are some of the lawyers that stand out to you who uh, were in the news during two thousand and eight? Uh, well, clearly, uh, Barack Obama uh, has got to lead that list, although he was not in the news as a lawyer, per se. Um, but I think that, that the election of Obama uh, was a huge story this year, obviously, and it's going to be an enormous story in 2009. Um, and, I, and just to sort of look ahead as well, I would say um, Eric Holder as the new attorney general, assuming that he is confirmed, uh, will will be an enormous story. One of the things I'm going to be looking at in 2009 is uh, what the Obama administration will do about uh, Guantanamo Bay. Um, Bush uh, and Obama have both said that they want to close that. Of course, we haven't had any movements in that direction yet. My guess is that in the latter part of the year, we may see some effort to do that. The question then becomes, what do you do with the people who are not returned to their countries of origin? Um, clearly, some people are going to have to be tried. Are they tried in a military tribunal in the United States? Uh, are those cases transferred to the federal court system, which has been a proposal some people have been discussing? Um, that's going to be interesting, very interesting to see uh, in 2009. Um, Pat Fitzgerald, the U.S. attorney here in Chicago, has to be, I think, at the, near the top of anybody's list for legal newsmakers in 2008. Uh, with his case uh, against the governor of Illinois. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see in 2009 how that plays itself out. Um, and also with a new president in place, typically, uh, the U.S. attorneys around the country will tender their resignations. Uh, and then the president selects whether or not he will keep any of those individuals on. Will Fitzgerald stay or go in 2009? Um, and what impact, if at all, will... Uh, the case against the governor have on that. That's going to be intriguing. What about social media, Ed? Uh, we, you know, we talked, we alluded to this a little bit, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the last year about blogs and podcasts, of course, and uh, your own your own blog, 100. Uh, you're on Twitter now, a lot of buzz about Twitter, although nobody seems to know quite what to make of it. Uh, what's your impression uh, of what impact this is all having on the legal profession? I think you're right that, that a lot of people do not have a sense of what to make of some of these social media tools. But I'm beginning to see the legal profession get their, their feet wet. Um, as you said, we as the journal are on Twitter. I also have a personal Twitter account. Um, we're seeing at the journal 20, 25 people a day signing up to follow our Twitter feed, which is really just our, our headlines and links to our stories as they become available online. Um, so... I think that, that social media is going to be a big, big uh, issue in 2009. And one of the ways I see it working out is people are becoming experts and, and well-known in the social media sphere. Some of them, I think, initially because they are talking about social media and how lawyers should use it. Um, but I think that, that over the course of this 2009, more and more lawyers, in part because they're going to have time on their hands with business being down, are going to be looking for ways to use these tools to try and attract more business. Uh, we wrote a story a month ago about uh, social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, uh, even LegallyMinded.com, the ABA's new social media site just for the legal profession. Um, and an increasing number of lawyers are saying, this isn't just a waste of time. This isn't just for the kids. This is a way for me to get additional clients and to get more business from the clients I have. So I think people are going to find ways, in effect, to monetize their activities on social networks in 2009. 
What else do you see coming up for 2009? I mean, we've seen some developments of online legal directories like Avo. Uh, how do you see those things shaking out for the coming year? Um, I've looked at Avo. Um, I, I haven't been all that impressed with it, frankly. Um, I, I think that you know it's an interesting product. Uh, the notion that that people can update their profiles on it is intriguing. Uh, so, as a lawyer, they will put up some information that they get from from uh, public authorities about you, and then you can update it and and make changes to it. That's an interesting model. Um, it hasn't really clicked for me yet. Um, and I'm not certain that it's going to be all that appealing, certainly to, to clients from the big, the big companies. I think they have other ways of getting information about lawyers. It may be more effective for smaller lawyers. Uh, solos and small firms may find that that is a tool that allows them to try and get clients they otherwise wouldn't get. We are uh, about at the end of our time with you, Ed, uh, and we need to take a short break. But before we let you go from the program, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of give your final thoughts uh, on 2008 uh, and 2009 as well, if you'd like to do that, and also to tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they'd like to follow up. Sure. Well, I, certainly I think the, the, the biggest story of 2008, the economy, it's going to continue into 2009. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not a great predictor of the future, but my guess is that things are going to get worse before they get better. Certainly all the economic data coming out of Washington says that. So I think for the big firms, um, it's going to be a very, very tough 2009. I think you're going to see more layoffs. You're going to see more big firms try and merge with each other. Um, you're going to see more people uh, who are uh, earning less in 2009. Um, so I think it's going to be a tough year, but in, in challenging times, there also comes opportunity. Um, and I think that we're going to see in the next 12 months a lot of innovations. We've mentioned some of them here, social media and other things, um, that lawyers are going to latch onto and try and find a way forward so that when this recession finally does end, uh, they're in a stronger position than when they started. Um, in terms of reaching me, um, you can reach me uh, through my uh, email address, which is Adams E as in Edward, at staff dot aba net dot org. If anybody would like to call me, I'm even going to give my phone number, which is 312-988-5999. Uh, you can check out my feeds on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on legallyminded.com. Uh, and you can uh, also take a look at the work of my colleagues here at the journal at abajournal.com. Well, thank you very much for being on. We will need to take a short break. When we return, we'll see what's on the horizon for 2009 and who to look out for in the legal world in the year ahead. And we'll be joined by Steve Fromm. Ed, thanks a lot for being with us. Thank you. We hope you listen to one of our brand new shows here on the Legal Talk Network, In-House Legal, with attorney Paul Boyton experienced in all things in-house. If you're interested in the top issues, news, and trends inside the corporate legal department, you'll want to listen to In-House Legal. Starts January 12th. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen now, download the show, or even better, subscribe to the RSS feed. It's free. We're proud to tell you about a special legal podcast series called Legal Tips from the ABA Tort Trial and Insurance Practice section. It's all about creative approaches to old problems that arise in the practice of tort and insurance law. You'll hear about the TIPS Leadership Academy, diversity initiatives, and plans for the TIPS 2009 annual meeting. 
Legal Tips starts in February, right here on the Legal Talk Network and the American Bar Association websites. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. You've just passed the bar, and you're ready for your first day at the firm. If you always wear a blue suit, white shirt, and red tie, nobody will know you haven't been home in three days. You are ready to tackle the important legal questions. I don't worry about the merits of a case. I'm paid solo to find obscure procedural roadblocks. You are ready to find self-worth in your profession. The value of my existence is measured in six-minute increments. And the Perfect Associate has the answers to all your career questions. Available at PerfectPlush.com. PerfectPlush.com, your source for legal humor. That's PerfectPlush.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're talking about the top legal stories of 2008. And joining us now is Stephen Fromm. Uh, Steve is editor-in-chief of the National Law Journal, uh, an incisive media newspaper. Steve joined Incisive Media uh, in 1996, long before it was called Incisive Media, as an associate editor of the Connecticut Law Tribune. He was uh, uh, promoted to editor-in-chief of that paper, and where he remained until 1999. He joined the National Law Journal that year as an associate editor for litigation and has been managing editor of the NLJ since 2003, uh, a period during which the NLJ opened bureaus in Los Angeles, Boston, Chicago, and Miami, launched a daily website, and strengthened its coverage of national legal trends, law firms, federal courts, and law schools. He became editor-in-chief last year. Uh, and uh, I can say I've had the good pleasure of having worked with Steve in the past. Uh, welcome to the show, Steve Fromm. Yeah, thank you very much. It's nice to hear all that history. It's, it's been a long road, and here I am. <laughs> well, it's good to talk to you. Uh, so we we were just talking uh uh, to Ed, as you know, uh, about uh, some of his impressions on the top legal stories, and I, I want to get to some specifics in terms of some of the stories you've covered. But I wonder if we could start by uh, you telling us kind of your overall sense of, of what the what the lead was for 2008. Oh yes, <clears throat> that could be really summed up into, into one word: the economy. I know that that's that seems to be the the uh, lead story for a lot of different segments of uh, of industry, but it certainly was in the legal industry. I mean, I, I really think that law firms were were slammed by this. Uh, Recession, some really think actually it's depression. And I, and I really think that, uh, I mean, law firms are always thought of as these kind of havens for safe employment. And uh, that was really shattered this year. And uh, what you're seeing law firms doing is they're really, uh, not not really large-scale layoffs, but they're, they just seem to be, uh, for a while there, it just seemed like for, for a two- or three-month period, there was just a layoff announcement after layoff announcement after layoff announcement. And they're still going on. We've even gotten a few uh, today. So it keeps going on. And uh, so you're seeing two things with law firms. You're seeing them lay uh, people off and terminate positions, but you're also seeing them reconfigure their practice areas and start you know, going away from the uh, uh, M&A deals and going towards more like bankruptcy and, and uh, employment law and that kind of thing. So it's been very interesting. But, but really the, the, the top story is how law firms are, are uh, dealing with, uh, with an economy that's really, uh, really tanking. 
Well, how are they? I mean, do you think that law that that the legal industry has been hit by this economic downturn uh, to the same degree as as other segments of the industry, or is it simply a matter of of law firms having to kind of, as you suggest, uh, reconfigure their practices and, and restructure their their organizations? Right. That, that's a good question. I mean, it's a very good question because I, I think it's being asked at precisely the right time. Because I think when this first started, everybody was thinking, "Oh my, you know, it, it's really drastic. It's horrific." And, and now that we've had a little time to follow through and, and, and follow the story, I, I, really the word I'm getting from law firms is, yes, it's bad, but f- for us it's, it's not quite as bad because there really is that kind of uh, flexible dynamic in law firms that they can take, you know, a three or four, you know, a fourth-year associate in, in M&A and put them into bankruptcy and retrain them. I know that that's not as easy as it sounds, but it's being done. And I, I just think that there's more flexibility and reaction amongst law firms. So I, my overall sense is, well, it's been very surprising. It's been... It's been a pretty bad situation. What we're hearing now is, you know, we're going to weather it. We're not going to, you know, there's been obviously some some uh, uh, exceptions to that, and I think those were some of the other top stories of the year. Uh, plainly, we're like uh, Thatcher uh, and uh, Helen Ehrman and uh, Thielen uh, all all failing. Uh, I think that, that that obviously those are large firms that just kind of imploded, and uh, now those are very big stories. But you'll find that um, a lot of other type other law firms are are, are just weathering it. You also find a lot of smaller and medium sized firms. Uh, which the National Law Journal particularly covers, uh, are, are actually getting some of the work from the more expensive law firms. They're actually going to their clients and saying, look, we have some very high-quality legal representation here, and it's just not going to cost you $1,000 an hour. So there's uh, actually some law firms that are that are really moving in and, uh, and actively taking advantage of this. There's that old saw that, that law is recession-proof, or law practice is recession-proof. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask you about smaller uh, and medium-sized firms, because we have seen the very visible uh, uh, results of the economy and some of these large law firms going under. Um, It's harder to get a sense of what's happening with solo and and Mm. small and and mid-sized firms. What's your impression of what's happening in that segment of the industry? i got to tell you, from some of the the smaller and medium-sized firm uh, managing partners that I've spoken with, some have been hit with this, but, but some of them actually are doing quite well. They're actually hiring. Uh, which is a, a real surprise, and, and it's for the, the very reason that they are more flexible, they're more um, uh, mobile. I think than some of the larger firms, they've reacted more quickly because they just can. Uh, you can you can maneuver a sailboat a lot easier than you can an aircraft carrier, and I, I just think that they're they're smaller and they're just more mobile and they're taking advantage of that. And their rate systems are just more amenable to people that are looking to save a, a, you know a dollar on, on legal work. And so I actually, I really have come in, in contact with, with uh, a lot of small and medium-sized uh, managing partners and said, we're actually doing pretty well, which was really surprising and kind of started modifying my, modifying my own viewpoint uh, about where law firms are headed on this. I mean, they're, they're obviously not recession-proof, uh, but they're certainly not the auto industry. I think that there's a, there's a lot of, uh, of uh, factors that are, that are going to move in their favor. And as I said, I think a lot of it, you can see a lot of that playing out with the smaller and medium firms. So no bailouts for the NLJ 250. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, you'll, you'll see. Uh, you'll, I think what you're going to see in the NLJ 250, you see some big firms all of a sudden disappearing from the radar. But you might actually see some uh, some other. That's actually another really good point. Is some medium-sized firms are are actually growing. They're taking some really uh, uh, something we haven't discussed is that when the larger firms toss off, if they're they're laying off uh, some seasoned associates and partners, uh, a lot of other firms that are in better position are snapping up the talent. And, uh, but so that, that's been my, a, yeah, that's been my impression. Is a lot of these people who are getting let go from one firm are getting snapped up by others. Yeah, it, it's happening. If you're if you're a seasoned litigator in the right thing, you're not going to be unemployed very 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 uh, 
very long. I, I mean, we've actually run some articles. We we actually followed, for instance, the ex uh, Heller, you know, employees and where they're going, and the ex Thielen uh, attorneys and where they're going. And while support staff, I think, are, are uh, sadly, I think a lot of them are out of luck. You'll you'll find that seasoned partners are uh, are very very marketable, and they're they're getting absorbed you know relatively quickly. I wonder what your impression is. We were talking in the uh, first half of this program uh, about. Uh, the uh, move toward alternative uh, methods of, of, of billing, and there was a, a, a much uh, talked about piece in the current issue of Fortune by, uh, yep. I think, the managing partner, Cravath, who, who is uh, saying the billing billable hour must die, essentially, mm-hmm. and there have been other mm-hmm. articles to that effect. Uh, mm-hmm. Is this economy uh, causing firms to revisit the way they're charging for their services? I think that I think they are. I think there's a number of firms that are actually that, that might actually visit the billable hour. But I've heard this before. I think you and I both heard this in 2001, 2002. We heard the same thing when when there was uh, when the tech market uh, you know exploded. But but I, I think that um, th- there's going to be firms looking. Uh, we ran an article about this. I think you know, like, I think within the last month or so, where a lot of firms are saying, oh, "Look, we're going to stick with the billable hour, but what we're going to do is start really listening to uh, you know you know uh, the in-house counsel when they're telling us that there's a real pressure." Uh, to keep rates down and keep them reasonable, uh, and, and the, the fact that more uh, in-house counselors are saying, "Look, you can use some of your relatively inexperienced associates—not obviously, you know, first years, but uh, some seasoned associates, not just partners—to work on these things." Which you, ne- you never heard that before, uh, but you're hearing it now. They're basically saying, "Look, as long as the partners keep an eye on their work, we can—if we can pay a little less for a seasoned associate, we'll, 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 we're interested in that." So there's a whole kind of panoply of options that are going on here. But to the, the bottom line of your question is, I think the billable hour is still here. I just think that there's a, a great deal of pressure to find creative ways to keep it down. See, let's turn to some of the personalities in the news this year. I mean, there, this has been a, a, a big year for lawyers in the news, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, one of them being a, elected president of the United States, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, you uh, recently named uh, your lawyer of the year, the NLJ recently named lawyer of the year, and you, and you picked uh, uh, Inspector General Glenn Fine. Um, tell us about why you settled in on Glenn Fine and, and, and how sure. you came to that decision. Sure. It was kind of an, an easy call for us. I mean, he, he's basically uh, the guy that stepped forward and, and really uh, uh, issued a number of reports about the, the politicization in the, the Department of Justice, U.S. Department of Justice, uh, the firing of the U.S. attorneys. He, he, he addressed that. And, and what we really liked about him was his He's just not a grandstander. The guy, he basically goes out there, he investigates. It's very, uh, it's very uh, uh, objective. It's very, uh, you know, uh, straightforward, straight shooting. And he, he basically uh, issued a number of reports. He's not, he's not earning a lot of friends in the DOJ, and, and but he was just did such an objective, uh, sterling job uh, that that uh, frankly there wasn't anybody close to him in our consideration, other than maybe uh, another kind of surprising trust with Sheila Barrett. He, he, she's a uh, a uh, JD from uh, I think from the University of Kansas School of Law, but but anyway, uh, uh, he just did such a sterling job and, and a gutsy job that uh, and it was um, as I said he, he really wasn't answering to any kind of political influences. And here's a guy that just really did his job and he did it extremely well with, without the uh, as I said before the kind of theatrics and the grandstanding that you see sometimes. So it was it was a fairly easy call. He was a he was a, just a clear cut uh, leader from the get go. And you mentioned Sheila Bear, who was who was the uh, the FDIC chairwoman, was was your runner up uh, in the selection. Can you say something about her? Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, she, she's a, another one I think who uh, what really caught our eye about her was um, 
she took on the uh, Bush administration in terms of what should be done with the recovery funds, basically saying that you've got to use some of this for, for just average homeowners out there. You can't just pump all of this on the Wall Street. And uh, she got into a, a, a pretty, uh, not, not public, but she was directly contradicting uh, Paulson and the Treasury Secretary. And, and in my opinion, that just takes courage. I mean, she just basically stuck by her guns. And, uh, and she also moved very decisively in terms of forming IndyMac early on in the uh, in the financial crisis, she she really made some very decisive, very clear-headed moves, and uh, she just really impressed me from uh, from the very start. And it's just kind of we we kind of uh, uh, found that uh, perhaps uh, the president-elect feels the same way because we just found out in the New York Times, I think either yesterday or today, that the Obama administration wants her to stay on. Yeah, she could have stepped down immediately, uh, but the administration has asked her to stay on. I think her term ends in 2011. And uh, she's got some pretty deep Republican roots, and there you go with the with the Democratic administration uh, admiring her enough to ask her to stay on. So that was pretty impressive. Uh, so, so Elliot Spitzer didn't make uh, Lawyer of the Year for two thousand eight. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, one year I think the, the MLJ named President Clinton uh, Lawyer of the Year for all the wrong reasons, and you could have maybe done that with Elliot Spitzer, but no, he was uh, actually in, in past years he was he was considered a number of times. In fact, I think one year. You might have actually been at the analogy when we did this, or it might have been a little after, but that, that he was actually a runner-up. Uh, so, but he never made he never made the cover, and uh, now we're kind of glad. So, <laughs> uh, one interesting uh, item that that that's come out of this economy, I guess, is reflected in a recent uh, NLJ's announcement of, of of its annual pro bono. Uh, Awards is is that if if paying work is down at some of these larger firms, it appears that the pro bono work uh, may be the beneficiary of that. Uh, yeah, um, that's a very interesting issue, and, and uh, I was really happy that the uh, the editor here and the assistant manager Mike Moline did a wonderful job with that section. And what he pointed out in the uh, in the uh, lead article of that is that that this is very much a way that that firms can hold on uh, to uh, to attorneys. Uh, uh, that they want to keep, and even 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 in bad times or in, in better times, that that um, associates are hungering for this kind of uh, of really committed uh, pro bono type of work where they can really help out, uh, you know, uh, sociopolitically or whatever you want, to, whichever way you want to call it, but really doing some really meaningful work. We all know that that, that law firm work can be uh, numbingly, uh, uh, you know, uh, boring at times. I guess you could, it, it, it is. It's just a, it can be a very tough job to, to kind of just uh, maintain an intellectual traction, but with uh, pro bono work that gives a uh, Law firms are a real way to just to hold on to people, and and as you said, in terms of just economically speaking, if there's a, there's less billables coming in, uh, there might be if you want to hold on to a certain associates and keep them busy or have them do something useful, then you've got pro bono, and uh, and I think a lot of law firms learned from the last downturn, which I think was one of the points of the article that we wrote, is that uh, if you want to really hold on to talent, a good way to do it is put is to support. Uh, pro bono, meaningful pro bono work for associates and partners, and I, I think you know, you, you know, you're an attorney. There's a, there's a lot of attorneys out there that will say that the pro bono work that they've done is without, you know, without measure, without comparison, is, is the most rewarding work that they've done. Steve, we're just about out of time, and before we finish up with you, I wanted to give you uh, an opportunity to maybe uh, uh, kind of wrap up your thoughts on 2008 and, and perhaps uh, project a little bit for what you see coming down the road in terms of the the the, the legal news for 2009. How's it how's it going to shape up next I, year? I think that you know 2008, as I said, I, I think that 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 kind of sent some law firms reeling, and I think the legal world really uh, uh, was shaken up from from stem to stern. And I think that uh, 2009, 
uh, I think there's going to be a, a continued shakeout of the economy, as with any other industry. I think the legal industry is still going to be shaking out a bit, but I see things recovering and rebounding in the spring to the summer. I think you're going to find uh, law firms uh, feeling a bit more confident about uh, their futures, and, and we'll, we'll, I think they'll have a much clearer uh, vision of where they're headed. Well, Steve Fromm, the editor of the National Law Journal, I appreciate your taking time to be on the show. If our if our listeners want to follow up with you, I know uh, the the newspaper is online at www.nlj.com. And uh, what's a good way for them to follow up with you if they'd like to do that? Uh, they can uh, go to, to the website, as you just mentioned, and uh, there's uh, go to Contact Us, which is at the bottom of the webpage, uh, like most webpages, and I'm there. Uh, there's a link to, to directly to my email and uh I would encourage uh, anyone to, uh, if they've got any comments about what's going on with their firms or in the legal industry, you know, it's part of our job is we, we'd love to hear what attorneys are thinking. We'd love to hear what they think we should be covering and uh, maybe what we shouldn't be covering. We'd love to hear any kind of feedback at all. So by all means, please uh, throw me a note. Well, thank you very much. A pleasure okay. to talk to you, and uh, thanks for being on the show today, Steve. Uh, very much. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Well, that about does it for Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at thelegaltalknetwork.com. And a very special thanks to our guests for being with us today. And a reminder to our listeners that you can find all of our programs at Legal Talk Network and on iTunes as well. Good talking to you, Craig, and look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you, Bob. We'll be back next week to discuss another great legal topic. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Somm. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.